Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. This is an episode I was thinking of doing probably sometime relatively soon, but then the He Gets Us Super Bowl ad played this past Sunday, and I thought that makes this week a good week to address all of the people who try to make these claims that Jesus was, anachronistically speaking, a Democrat. That is, were Jesus incarnate on the earth today instead of 2,000 years ago, he would be in favor of all of the Democrat policies and just condemn all of the Republicans and conservatives. And doing this episode on why Jesus would not be a Democrat and would be opposed to their most to their most outspoken policies today. I am also not saying that Jesus would support the Republican Party. They are still bad, just less bad than the Democrat Party. Picking between the two is like picking a train heading towards a cliff at 50 miles per hour or 100 miles per hour, but trying to pick between those two trains. Both will get there eventually. Both will end up getting you killed. In my opinion, the Republicans, more or less, are just in favor of whatever the Democrats were in favor of 10 years ago, sometimes fewer. Look at President Obama's 08 campaign. By today's standards, he would have been more on the Republican side than the Democrat side, more or less a pro-choice Republican. In fact, so many Republicans today, including President Trump, are in favor of the LGBTQ nonsense that President Obama, you know, who pretended in 08 he was not in favor of them until it was politically expedient, that Obama's platform in 08 might be more conservative than many Republicans today. And that does not even include how I think most Republican politicians, at least at the federal level and probably most on the state level as well, do not actually want to see abortion ended. They need it to stay legal so they can run their campaign on fighting it, possibly while secretly making sure their side girls that no one knows about are able to get abortions if needed. That brief aside there just to say that by condemning the Democrat Party, I am not claiming the Republican Party is altogether righteous. Because you know that if I don't explicitly say that, someone will claim that is what I'm saying. In fact, after explicitly saying it, someone will probably still say that. We have godly statesmen like Dusty Devers now, or John Jacob and Kurt Nisley a couple years ago, and I hope again in the future. But we do not have an entire political party with any real amount of sizable influence of men like that. 
Now, before we get further into the episode, please, I would uh, like to ask you all to, uh, if you enjoy this episode, to share it with a friend. Share the whole podcast, The Honor Money as a whole, with a friend, but share this episode. Or, you know, find someone arguing the exact thing I'm refuting in this episode on, you know, X or Facebook. Give them the link for this. And what's probably going to happen is they're not going to open the link and they're just going to block you because that's how, you know, people seem to be. But maybe you'll get like, you know, one person actually listens to it and uh, God grants that person uh, repentance over this. I don't know. But if you are willing, please share this around, especially with those who uh, would disagree with what I am saying in this episode. Okay, so the argument that Jesus would support the modern-day 2024 Democrat Party. The arguments are so bad and even blasphemous that I kind of hate to even say them. But I need to in order to show why anyone with half a brain who has read a single one of the Gospels, not even necessarily all four, should be able to tell how bad they are. You may see it take different shapes or forms depending on how the person wants to set up his bad arguments, but typically I think it goes something like this. Jesus, as the argument goes, never said anything about condemning LGBTQ, so he would support it today and condemn those who are against it. He said to pay your taxes, so anyone who wants to argue for lower taxes or some taxes being struck down altogether would be condemned by him, and I guess he would support whoever has the highest tax rate? I don't know if they would go that far with the argument. Jesus was against capital punishment. Jesus was a refugee as a baby and was in favor of open borders. Jesus condemned religious people and hung out with these socially outcast, quote-unquote, sinners. Jesus preached peace and was against violence, so he would be against the countless wars that the Republicans support. And Jesus preached love, not hate, so he would be in favor of Democrats and against Republicans because supposedly Democrats are about love while Republicans are about hate. Let's take each one of these one by one and then talk a bit about that he gets us at at the end. I don't plan to go super deep into everything. This is Theana money, not just thinking. I don't want a three hour long episode. I love Daryl and Virgil, but I don't think I will ever do an episode of Theana money as long as the average episode of uh, just thinking. But I will cover all of them and uh, maybe cover uh, some of them in more detail in future episodes or already have in in the past in a past episode for the point about taxes not from a negative side of tearing down that argument but from a positive side of putting up a biblical view of taxes and we as christians really need to do more of that positive side of putting forward solutions not merely tearing down bad ideas do both before jumping directly into contradicting any of these specific claims, I want to show a hidden assumption behind more or less all of them, one that really undercuts all of them to such a degree that I could basically just end the episode after this, 
without touching the actual claims, and they would still have been refuted. These claims get into that red-letter Christianity, where you basically just claim that the words in red are what are really important because Jesus said them, and the rest of the words of the Bible are less than that. So we can ignore them and just follow what Jesus said. Except, all of the words of the Bible are the words of God. Tota Scriptura. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 tells us that the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of Scripture to write what they did. But that does not mean that the Father and the Son were not involved. The three are three persons of the same being of God, and all the words of the Bible are the words of God. A true red-letter Bible would have all of the words in red, from Genesis to Revelation. And personally, I'm not a fan of red-letter Bibles because I think it implies this wrong distinction between different parts of Scripture. Not only that, but this line of reasoning assumes that there are differences and even contradictions between what Jesus taught and the rest of the Bible, and that we are to obey Jesus and disobedience to other parts of the Bible. Friends, there are no contradictions in the Bible, period. If you think you found one, it is almost certainly a misunderstanding of your interpretation of the passage or passages in question, or on extremely rare occasions, is an issue of translation or a misprint in that particular printing. And looking at a different translation, or a copy of the same translation without that misprint will correct the misunderstanding. If obeying one passage of scripture requires you to disobey a different one, you are misunderstanding or misapplying one or both passages of scripture. Also, these people who claim they are disobeying Moses or Paul or some other author of scripture in order to obey Jesus are not actually obeying Jesus. As we will see as we go further on into this episode of Theonomony. One last general point undercutting the whole discussion and then we will jump into addressing specific criticisms. Matthew 5, 17-19 Jesus in verse 17 upholds the entire Old Testament. He does not abolish any of it. Those who directly disobey what God said in the Old Testament, supposedly because they are following Jesus, are actually doing the very thing Jesus condemns in Matthew 5.19. As I go through these various points I brought up, I plan to focus primarily on citing the Gospels to show how they are wrong, so that even if you ignore the last few minutes that already showed how futile their points are, even just from the standard of words in red alone, they are still wrong. So first point, Jesus supposedly never said anything against LGBTQ. So if he were incarnate today, by the way, the kind of heretics we're dealing with here might say if he were alive today, which he is, amen, If Jesus were incarnate on the earth today, he would be in favor of this sin, supposedly. 
First, books of both the Old and New Testaments condemn this. Homosexuality is specifically condemned, and transgenders are just pots asking the potter, why did you make me in this body and not the other kind? For a more detailed look at transgenderism from a Christian viewpoint, listen to my episode titled Transgenderism, a Presuppositional Approach. Look at Matthew 19, 4-5. Jesus points to Adam and Eve as the standard of marriage. That is one man and one woman, not two of one or two of the other, and no more than two total. If you are looking for these specific words, homosexuality is wrong, from Jesus, then you are in the same camp as the Muslims who say the Trinity is wrong because Jesus never says, I am God, worship me, despite all of the I am sayings in John. And if Jesus did actually say those specific words in the Gospels, you would just pretend he was talking about pederasty or some other excuse like you do with the epistles of Paul anyways. So really it is not that you have an argument, you just want your sin and are grasping at straws so weak a third grader in a classical Christian school could see through it. If you still want to go with your Jesus never said those explicit words, so my sin is okay, approach, then know that you will also not find explicit words in the Gospels condemning polygamy or bestiality either. The same passage I already mentioned that you ignore that condemns homosexuality also is the passage that condemns polygamy. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and not Adam and Eve and Lilith. And none of the animals were suitable for Adam, as Genesis 2 tells us. Then again, the people advocating LGBTQ might like the idea that Jesus didn't condemn polygamy or bestiality, so maybe I shouldn't have said that last part. For the point about taxes, in short, a tax rate of 10% or higher is a government claiming itself to be on par with, or even greater than, God since they are exacting the tithe as their tax rate. And it is considered an appalling thing to be taxed that high, per 1 Samuel 8. There are spheres of sovereignty, and each have their roles and responsibilities. For the family, the church, or the state, to go beyond its roles and responsibilities is sinful and an abuse of their God-given authority. Between income tax, sales tax, fuel taxes, and all the other taxes, many Americans end up paying like half their income, or close to it, in taxation. That is way over the 10% rate that I believe the Bible condemns as sinful. So I believe that if we have had the words of Jesus himself on American taxation today, he would not support the Democrats and condemn the Republicans like leftists pretend, but he would condemn both of them, perhaps with words stronger than mine on the subject, and y'all know the words I have on such matters, because both parties support unbiblical, and I'd even say sinful, taxation, not just in sinful uses of taxes, but sinful tax levels to begin with. For more details on this, listen to a good handful of past episodes addressing topics related to this. B 
beginning with biblical taxes, spheres of sovereignty, and taxes and Christian welfare. That last one I mentioned there is an earlier episode of Theana Money, so one many listeners may not have listened to yet, but it was a really good episode that I recorded with a friend of mine a couple years ago. And like, honestly, while recording the episode, while talking to him, I learned some stuff myself. So y'all should go back and listen to that one. Next, the idea that Jesus condemned capital punishment. They might bring up the pericope adultery, the woman caught in adultery. I'm not going to go into this here because I plan to do a full episode on this, hopefully soon. To give a brief answer here, first, there are textual issues that we need to talk about. And second, capital punishment needs two or three witnesses. And there were no witnesses to the woman's crimes after all of her accusers left. So Jesus was upholding Old Testament law to not condemn someone without witnesses to the crime. Jesus does not condemn capital punishment here. They may also bring up Matthew 5, 38 and 39 and claim that Jesus abolished the Lex Talionis laws here. First, just look to verses 17 to 19 of that same chapter where Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, meaning the entire Old Testament. Second, the Lex Talionis laws are about the punishment fitting the crime in court of law. The Pharisees had abused those good laws of God for use in personal vengeance, and Jesus condemned that, not their proper use in court. Since Jesus upholds the Old Testament law, and nowhere condemns capital punishment, and since decades later the Apostle Paul upheld capital punishment in Acts 25.11, I think it is safe to say that Jesus is in no way opposed to capital punishment as long as it follows the guidelines of Old Testament law. On the whole, Jesus was a refugee point. I plan to do an episode on immigration at some point as well. For now, Egypt and Judea were both provinces of the Roman Empire. It was possibly, if not probably, more like traveling from Wales to Scotland. You know, one country in the United Kingdom to another. Or like one state to another before the war between the states. Back when we thought of the states more like separate countries to some degree, united by the federal government. Back when people said, the United States are, not the United States is. Now, on immigration, you cannot just have open borders. A nation without borders is not a nation. How do you know who are your citizens and who are not? It'd be like a church without official membership. Oh, wait. But for real, I'm in favor of legal immigration based on Old Testament law where there is temporary status given pretty easily as long as you obey the laws of our land, including laws where full citizens get certain benefits you do not, and your family has to be here for a few generations in order to get every benefit of citizenship. Also, just want to say, I'm recording this late and I'm tired and I managed to say immigration every single time and not accidentally say irrigation because I was a little bit afraid of that. On the point saying that 
Jesus hung out with sinners but condemned religious people. Jesus condemned religious hypocrites who taught a false gospel, lowered God's commands, and elevated their own commands to the height of God's. Many people fit all three of those categories, including the leftist quote-unquote Christians who would use this idea to condemn the ones who actually have the true gospel. As for the sinners Jesus hung out with, he did not go there to tell them that God is cool with their sin and to not worry about it. He condemned their sin and saw many of them repent and become followers of him. As to the point about war, first, the conquest of Canaan in the Old Testament was something that all three persons of the Godhead were in agreement about because the three persons of the one being of God cannot be in disagreement. As a result of that, it was not something where that was the bad God the Father, but Jesus is the good God the Son who would not do that. That is heresy and is so wrong, I felt bad just saying it, even though I was only saying it as something other people, not myself, wrongly claim. On the point about war, we as Christians have a whole history in Protestant-resistant theory, and the history there goes back further than the Reformation. It is okay to fight to defend yourself, including on the national level of a nation defending itself against an attacking nation. Also, John MacArthur has argued in his book in response to 9-11 that an implication of Romans 13 is that a nation can bear the sword not only on its own citizens who are worthy of punishment, but against another nation when that nation as a whole has done something worthy of punishment. Also, in my opinion, the Democrats are just as much the party of war as the Republicans, if not more so. Politicians on both aisles love to fund war measures as long as the funds for them purchase arms from manufacturers the members of Congress are heavily invested into with their stock portfolios. But don't worry, it is not insider trading when they do stuff like that, only when you do stuff like that. You know, I'm not a fan of President Trump, but look at the world stage as far as peace and war goes from 2017 to 2020 and from 2021 until now. I don't think that comparison holds well for President Biden when it comes to peace and war. And for Democrats arguing that Republicans are the warmongers and they are the peaceful ones. Both parties are warmongers. Neither are peaceful, and for one to claim they are but the other is not is just posturing. Lastly, the claim that Jesus was about love, not hate, and Democrats are about love while Republicans are about hate, so Jesus would support them. The only way they can argue this is to define whatever they are in favor of as loving and everything else as hateful. So really the logic is, Jesus would support us and condemn you because he would support what we believe and condemn what you believe because we said he would. And that's why he would. Yes, Jesus is loving because Jesus is God and God is love. But Jesus is also holy. As Paul Washer has said, Love means that you must hate. 
If you love what is good, you must hate what is evil. Jesus loves the creature made in the image of God, so he must hate murder, including murder of the preborn by abortion. Jesus loves his bride, the church, and marriage pictures that, so he must hate distortions of marriage such as sodomite mirage. My friends, Jesus loves, but he also hates. He loves what is good and hates what is evil because he is holy and righteous and just. Jesus hates the very things that people on the left who blaspheme his name use to claim that he would support them. So what would Jesus say to modern-day leftists who take his name in vain to support their sinful causes? I do not want to put words in the mouth of God, but I would not be surprised if the words would be sharper than what the Pharisees received in the Gospels. Lastly, look at me saying lastly twice. What a good Baptist I am. Lastly, taking a moment to talk about the He Gets Us Super Bowl ad, it is related to this topic because many of the people behind He Gets Us are people who need to listen to this episode. I think they are the type to make the claims like the ones I refuted here. Chalk Knox and Jason Farley talked about the ad in the most recent episode of Knox Unplugged, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And John Harris also talked about it on his Conversations That Matter podcast. Basically, the ad shows white people washing the feet of people with more intersectionality points than them, because that is apparently what Christianity is all about, showing deference to people with more intersectionality points than you in the name of love. Well, if you are woke and ignore everything I have said thus far in this episode because it did not make you feel good, so that obviously means it is wrong, then I guess that makes sense. At the end of all of the frames, which look AI-generated but apparently were real photos that were run through filters afterwards, listen, I'm no expert on marketing, but I think that if you're going to touch up real photos until they look AI-generated, save the money of hiring a professional photographer and just use AI-generated photos. At the end of the frames, it said that Jesus did not preach hate, he washed feet. And I think pretty much everyone realizes the implication is that if you are a conservative Christian who believes conservative Christian things, you are hateful and need to stop being so hateful, which probably means becoming more politically left. The ad had no mention of repentance or the gospel, despite the fact that it is supposedly done to evangelize. But rather than targeting unbelievers with the gospel, it is targeting believers with an unbiblical message, telling them that is what Christianity is all about. One of the photos showed an abortion clinic where the person who is supposed to be more Christ-like is washing the feet of a girl who presumably either just got an abortion or is about to get one, while the people who are supposed to be quote-unquote preaching hate and quote-unquote unchristlike are the Christians ministering outside the mill. I've been outside the mills more times than I can remember. I've met some close friends out there, some whose names you may know, such as Darren Stid, Kip Farrar, and John Jacob. Another one, David Hewitt, became my father-in-law after he introduced me to his daughter, 
now my wife, the year after we met. We are out there preaching the gospel to the women and telling them that we have resources for them if they keep their baby. Or we'll even adopt their baby if they don't get an abortion but don't want to keep the child. We even talk to the dad like a man talks to a man and tell him what a coward he is being because that is how real men talk to one another when they need to be rebuked. Just see Nathan and David in 2 Samuel 12. But according to He Gets Us and leftist so-called Christians, we are the hateful and unchristlike ones. And the loving and Christ-like thing to do is to go tell the woman there to commit murder, that we love her and Jesus understands how hard her decision is. All I can say to so-called Christians who support such evil is, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. That was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Satisfies me Your law is sweet Oh you